Thanks for tuning in to the Loser Kid Pinball Podcast. I am Josh Roop. With me, my co-captain, as always. Scott Larson. And Scott, we went to Expo. We met the hardest... We met the, the hard, busiest... Hardest, hardest working man in, in, uh, in pinball sales, right? Exactly. And if you haven't hooked up with Zach Manny and Nicole Manny over at Flipping Out Pinball, I saw firsthand this weekend how hard they work for their customer. It was like bedtime, and we were heading back to our room, and I walk past Zach, and he's he's showing someone an Escalera going up and down the stairs. I'm like, dude, it's time for bed. <laughs> like, yeah, um, But he wanted... He, he did great. He talked to everyone... They came up and wanted to talk to him. I mean, he really is great on customer service. We have a friend right now that's having an issue with Godzilla. Zach is sending him some personal parts out of his collection to make sure that this customer gets taken care of because he want, he knows how much this game means to him. And so yeah. Zach goes the extra mile. And I'm, I'm glad, I'm proud to say he uh, he takes care of us, you know? Yeah, so. no, it, it's good. Uh, the Man, that Escalera is really impressive in person. Um, I was able to get a used Escalera, and it it needs to it needs some TLC. It needs to be resurrected a little bit. But I saw the new ones, and I was thinking, man, I maybe I'll maybe I'll sell the this Escalera and pick up a new one because it they looked that good. So who knows? If you want a Project Escalera, reach out to me. Um, but if you want a new Escalera, reach out to to Zach. So so we went to Expo, and I think I've listened to plenty of the coverage from Expo. Um, I think we have quite the interesting different take f- because we did stuff differently than a lot of people that went to Expo. I didn't know what to expect. And so I think I spread myself thin. I don't know about you, Scott, but I did like a knee jerk reaction and entered the tournament on top of everything else. <laughs> yeah. That was probably a bad idea. <laughs> well, the challenge though, is when you look at it, it, this is a casualty of the way they schedule it. And yeah. Uh, I was a little surprised that um, I, and I flew in Wednesday night. So we had Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Uh, And most of the stuff, the seminars were going on, but on Thursday night and Friday night, you didn't even get into the vendor area uh, until about 6 PM. Yeah. And I think it was slightly different, like on Friday and, and Saturday, Saturday was there all day, but we, we did the pinball Olympics, which we'll talk about. But I, I wish there was a little bit more time in the, that we could get into the vendor area, not necessarily because of where all the pinball machines are, but I felt that some of the people who traveled to set up their displays, uh, I didn't feel like they got a lot of attention just because there was such a mad rush because it was so compressed. So I, I felt that, yes, it was, it was a mad rush in many ways, but in some ways you were kind of waiting for things to open up. Correct. And I felt like we were very fortunate. So speaking of that first night, you got in at six. I got in at 1130 because the flights had went like just smooth as butter and got there. And I'm waiting for a lift car and I'm watching the GPS on my phone and they're like going zigzag. It's like, oh, they're three minutes away. No, they're seven minutes away. No, they're five minutes away. What the heck is going on? This this person pulls up. I get in the car, right? And the first per- the first thing they say to me is, Oh, don't mind the noise. I hit something on the way here and my car's making a funny noise now, but we'll get you to where you need to go. I I was like, is this a good sign or a bad sign, right? Confidence building. Exactly. And it was a 20 minute drive from the airport to the hotel. And it took this person like 35 minutes because for some odd reason, they kept doing circles on the off ramps. Hmm. Anywho, long story short, I got there safe. 
Yeah. Um, so I got there at one thirty in the morning, woke you up, mm-hmm. uh, got, ended up, we, we, we went to, to bed, got up the next morning. Uh, the seminars had started with the virtual tour of Stern, which kind of stinks that we didn't get to go in person. But the cool part about the virtual tour is there was a lot more to see because they were able to get you into areas that you wouldn't be able to go otherwise. They were able to, uh, it was Jack Danger. I'm sorry, I can't remember who his cameraman was, but they were able to get in like the designer's area, show the cubicles, stuff like that. There was a lot of information there. And um, I just wanted to share some highlights. What, what, what did you like from it first? Uh, you're, you're 100% right in that if you have 80 people, there's no chance they could have gone through uh, all the locations we went through. Yep. Um, you would have been on the factory floor. I mean, it's, a, it's an assembly line. Uh, just like uh, most factories are. And you would have been focused just on seeing that and the large areas. But it was really cool to see going back to, you know, where the, the white woods are built and where the offices are. And I mean, it, it looked like a factory I and mean, that's yeah. pretty much how it is. But it felt, uh, I actually thought it was fine. Um, I... Uh, at some point I would like to go to a, a real factory tour, yeah. but I thought it was a really good uh, option. Yep. Sounds like me and you need to go during when it's not expo and just hit them up or something. Cause yeah, I knew it would be nice uh, at some point, uh, but uh, it's, it's tough on, on Stern and all the other yeah. manufacturers. I mean, JJP's there, American pinballs there yeah. where during the expo, they are so busy. Yes. Uh, and so it's, uh, and you know, it, it would have been nice to get, a, a, a to get a, a small tour, but really it would have been us and like 400 other people who said, Hey, I'm into pinball. Can you just show me around the factory? Exactly. So it just, it just doesn't work out. But I, I thought all things considered, they did a good job. I agree. Gomez narrated Jack danger was on the other side, narrating in the factory. Uh, some of the things he had said, Stern is making more games now per day than they were pre-COVID. So mm-hmm. that's pretty impressive. Um, COVID shut them down for three months. It forced shut down. But in that time, they reevaluated how they were manufacturing. They were able to cut out some of the dead weight and become more efficient in manufacturing. So they actually felt like COVID helped them more than it hurt them at some points. Um, they have two CNC machines now for playfields. And they are doubling that. They should have that. Um, they should have that shortly. Gomez didn't give a time frame, but he said that they've essentially ordered the CNC machines for their playfields, and they should be here soon. Let's see. One of the other interesting parts too is he was talking about fixing the lower cabinets on the Stern machines. I guess just recently they fixed the upper cabinets by going mostly metal, so they were kind of looking at some doing something like that with the bottom cabinet and helping cut costs, and it'd be a little more efficient because the back boxes become really efficient. And, uh, and not only assembly, but um, also on the line and whatnot. I think it was also lighter weight too, but I, yes. I don't think that was the driving force. I think it, he he said clean up some issues, and so um, certainly it, it it does make thing it modernizes things. So uh, you're you're gonna lose slightly a, a feel of an older cabinet, but you know what? If if you can maneuver things a little easier and it ends up being more compact and uh, efficient, then that's the way to go. Yep. Uh, including vendors, people that make parts, all that stuff for Stern, they estimate anywhere from 12,000 to 15,000 people's how many they employ 
for Stern. So obviously they don't make all their own product, but they're counting, you know, people that make the sculpts that uh, all down to the, even the little bits and screws, I guess. So, and then the last thing that I thought was very interesting is Gomez had then announced that Spike 3 is in development. Uh, he said that pretty much technology is moving on and they need to keep up with it. And because of that, they are implemented. They they are now starting to work on Spike Three. Yeah, and, so. and that doesn't that shouldn't surprise anybody. I and mean, you watch any, it's basically it follows an operating system timeline of uh, like Nintendo or PlayStation or something like that, where it it has become almost like a mini video game um, operating system. So in those uh, those cycles last anywhere from four to five years. So being able to make sure you keep up with technology. I mean, if you think about it. Uh, open the back, open the back box of any game in the in the eighties or nineties, and now look, open a back box, yeah. and it looks completely different because the the computer technology has overtaken any sort of the you know the fuses and the in the bits of wire that they used to do, and so it, it's so much better um, and more reliable. Really, I agree, and I think one of the points that they'd kind of made too as well is like the LCD screens are kind of becoming obsolete and everything's turning to 4K. So I think that's kind of one of the pushes as well to Spike 3. He mentioned that, but he didn't confirm they're for sure doing 4K screens. Right, but it's it makes sense. I mean, it's, yeah. uh, it, it goes back to what Joe Kamenkow told us is that uh, when you do a pivot between like an old technology and a new technology, it immediately visually makes the old technology just appear dated. Yep. And uh, and it's like looking at a color DMD now versus looking at an LCD. It look or sorry, not a color DMD, just a typical DMD. Um, it looks significantly dated if you don't have uh, the LCD in there. So it's uh, you have to keep up. Otherwise, it just looks sad. So the virtual tour ends. Gomez is there. Gary Stern has arrived. The new president, Seth Davis, is there. Jack Danger had actually finished the virtual part and had already made it back to Expo, so that tells you how close the new convention was to Stern itself. Uh, Moto Harney was there. She was helping with all the technology, um, and they kind of did a Q&A. Some of it was really awesome questions. Some were very awkward. We're not really going to go into those. Um, and then they stayed around, and they, they signed some stuff. So it was, it was pretty cool. That was the most packed seminar I saw out of all of them. It was pretty front-to-back with just people and it, it was a good vibe. It really was. Yeah. I, I thought that was good. And it was a, it was a good look for pinball. Um, yes. it feel, it feels like, uh, Stern has embraced their, um, their front runner status and they are taking the lead in, in both volume and in also, uh, forward thinking, um, the new president of Stern, Seth Davis, he has a history of like the Walt Disney world and ESPN and the, the subscription based streaming services, which is it, I understand people's uh, people feeling nervous because uh, a lot of the nice things about pinball machines is that you buy it and it's done. You, you have paid, it's an outdoor out the door cost. Right. And so I understand why people are nervous when you start implementing some sort of, um, possible subscription thing. But the way I look at it is I have no idea where it's going to go down in the future. Currently it's just free. And it could be that in the future, if you want to add something, and this is me, me completely speculating, 
then it's an optional op, uh, service. And in many ways, I see it being a huge thing. And uh, George Gomez says, we need to walk before we run. And so people were talking about, you know, privacy concerns and, and everything associated with um, some sort of integrated thing. But I felt that it was a very good thing. And he was talking about, look, this this will give us more information on games. And so it'll tell us what modes are done and, and how often these things happen. And so this is one of the best feedbacks they could possibly get on being able to implement uh, implement new uh, new code updates in games. Because if there's a code, if there's a if there's a mode that just no one gets to because it's too difficult, then they can actually look at that. I also look at this as a great uh, troubleshooting option because it just like on your car, you, know, you take your car into the dealer. What's the first thing they do? They hook it up to a computer and say, oh, well, this is the error. Yeah. So I know they have a, a system like that in the um, in the service menu, but most people... Uh, I'd say the average pinball player is unfamiliar with the service menu. So I say that as being a huge uh, plus. And so we'll we'll see where this goes. Um, I'm sure there will be people who like the new integration. I thought, uh, I guess, l let's transition to um, the Stern connectivity then. Um, okay. what, did, what did you think? I thought it was a lot of fun. You and I both signed up. Uh, Josh signed up first, so he got Loser Kid. I signed up second, so I got Loser Kid the number two. Um, and I thought it was just kind of fun because you would be playing a game and a little badge would pop up and said, Hey, you just achieved this, or you just did this. And I, it's, it, it really didn't affect the game much, but I thought it was kind of fun. And especially because I'm not really a score chaser. I like, um, like a completion aspect of the game Yeah. to say, Hey, you know, I've, I've done chaos multi-ball or, Hey, I've done. Uh, I've gone this pathway on Jurassic Park or, hey, I've been able to, you know, to start this multi-ball that I've never done before. So I I thought that was a lot of fun and it seemed really easy. Uh, yeah. Curr currently it's web-based, but I, I'm sure there's an app in development. I enjoyed it. There was a hiccup that we experienced. What was it? Day two. We had had four people on the pinball machine. We had we'd invited some people we just met. We're playing Godzilla, and I know that I had put my phone, uh, my name popped up as player four, and then the next thing I know, I'm playing I'm playing what we thought was player four, and all of a sudden I'm playing, I think it was your ball, wasn't it, the very first ball? Yeah, something like that, yeah. And I'm like, where did I go? And so it looks like there's a couple bugs. That's honest, at me, that's but the only it, bug it, we... It was it, super, it was very slick. Um, yeah, anybody, other than that, it did really well. When I you like go and to, try it out, I think it's going to be huge. Um, yeah. I... I it, this will be a big push to get people onto locations because they can look up and say, Hey, there is a, a linked machine that is out there. Uh, and it's at this location so they can, they can go to it. Also, um, even George Gomez was saying, this is going to be a huge benefit for operators because operators will be able to see if a game's functioning, because if you're running a route, especially depending on how big your area is, you're typically not going to stop off there every day. Yeah. And you're gonna, you're probably going to stop off once a month, yeah. and if you're, uh, if you you know the weekends are probably going to when you're making most money. So if you just don't know that your game's off or there's an issue, because you know the 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 waiter, the bartender, or the the amusement center, the movie theater, that's not their gig. They're not they're not going to focus on making sure your games are running, and so 
having an ability to say, oh, this is down. I, I noticed this in my hot tub. I, I have a hot tub and I'll get a message. Hey, uh, your hot tub lost connectivity. Is there, is everything okay? Is the power down? And so that, that keeps it up. And so I see a very similar thing with Insider. So the Stern tour ends, you and I look at each other. We're like, what do we do? The, the vendor hall doesn't really open till six free play wasn't even going at that point. Um, so we were kind of working with Zach many with flipping out and was like, we'll just walk in. Like we own the place <laughs> and go, go help in the vendor area with Zach. And you're like, I don't know about this. I'm like, no, just, just walk through like you own the place and they won't even question you. So we start walking through and, and Scott gets through and a lady tries to stop, stop us. She's like, where well, are you she going? She didn't stop. She just asked. And I yeah, said, she's like, where are you going? And you just like, I'm what with did you say? Out. I said, I'm with flipping out. And I just kept walking. <laughs> and you like book it. And all of a sudden she flips around and she's like right in front of me. And she's like, what did he say? What, where are you going? And I'm like, we're helping with flipping out. And she's like, what are you even talking about? Like she starts quite giving me like the fifth degree and, and Rob Burke's daughter walks over and is like, they're good. They're fine. Let them through. And so you were already gone. And so I, I get, I, up there. I was like, already in the, I was already in the vendor hall. So, yeah. So imagine walking, it's a massive room. I'd say what's about two, three blocks long city it, blocks. It's huge. So I, we never went to the old one. I heard that it, um, the old one was more partitioned into a whole bunch of small rooms. Okay. Um, the plus and minus of this was it was a very typical convention center feel. Yes. And very if Comic-Con. It, if you've ever been right, to Comic-Con. If you go to any of these things, I mean, it's, it's basically like a giant warehouse. Yeah. And so they can set up everything. And so they had two areas. They had the, the free play area that had a decent amount of games. And then they had a, uh, a vendor area. So that's where, you know, uh, flipping out set up. That's where uh, Stern set up. That's where Chicago gaming company, American pinball, uh, JJP, like all of them had a major presence. And there were also a, a lot of vendor booths that you could go and see. Yeah. So you had to walk through free, free play to get to the vendor. And we got into the vendor area, and the very first place we go is Legends of Valhalla. And Steve Bowden's there. We ran over, congratulated him. Like, congratulations, man. Again, it is fantastic that you're worth American Pinball. I hope they put you to great use. It looked like, I mean, that that man's enthusiasm for pinball is through the roof. We're sitting there playing Legends of Valhalla, and he's just soaking in all the information we'll give him, what, what we think, what we don't think. He's giving us ideas of what he's going to do. He's already like, He's only been there what a week and a half is what he said. Yeah, and yeah. he was he was already telling us how he's going to balance this rule and that rule, and it, it was it was very awesome. And, and my only suggestion to him out of all of it was the the fl- flipper power at the bottom was really weak, so you were barely hitting that center ramp. And he had mentioned they were nervous because of these games being played twelve hours a day that they turned down the flipper power to make sure that they didn't overheat and stuff like that, which I get. So. Hey, I, I get it. it's it's challenging because uh, at uh, you know even at a uh, a bar location or an arcade location, yeah, you're not going to get a thousand plays like in, in in a day. But at a convention, you will, and it will be consistently moving the whole time. And so they uh, it, it's it's hard because I know some people uh, didn't have like a. You know, they were questioning how well it flows because obviously at a, at a convention, you have to make some modifications. I actually went in. And so the night before I was there and I met Jeff Theolis 
uh, in person. And we actually went back and Dave Fix took us and we played the game. So we played it when it was cold, when it was set up and it it wasn't overheated. And like it, it wasn't used like all the other machines. I mean, this isn't unique to American pinball. There's you, you have heard these things from other vendors during other expos. Um, but I played it and it was, I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, legends of Valhalla just, uh, to, you know, refresh your memory. Uh, this is a, it was a homebrew game that American pinball contracted out. It's with riot pinball and Scott from riot pinball. He's the one who, who, uh, developed it and, and, uh, did the storyline. And so, you know, the, the art that Scott did and, the and, uh, you know, it's it's um, it's basically a Viking who's away uh, marauding and comes back and finds his his home. His home is ransacked and burned and his family is murdered. And so he goes through this journey and eventually his wife comes back as the Valkyrie. And so that's the whole storyline uh, of Valhalla. But I I actually thought it was a, a solid game. Um, yeah. I thought it was a big step forward for American pinball. And, uh, I, it was a really solid showing at the, uh, at the show. So it was great to talk to Steve and, and just get our hands on the game. Uh, we went and talked to Zach many, but he was running around like with a chicken with his head cut off because he was still trying to get all set up. Um, so we, we moved over to P3, got mm-hmm. to talk to Jerry, uh, Jerry, Jerry Stellenberg. And we played Heist, and then we played Sorcerer. And they were both, I thought they were really fun. I It, it is fun. It, it, it seems a little bit like a hybrid. I understand when people say it doesn't feel like pinball, um, because what they're used to is they're used to a, you know, a, a, a physical game without the augmentation. Um, I, this felt very pinball-y to me, but it also felt like a, like a pinball machine and an iPad game um, fused together. Yeah. And so it has a lot of those similar aspects where instead of using your finger, you're using the ball and you're using flippers. Uh, The flippers were solid. They were uniquely designed to float above the, uh, above the screen. And I, I thought it was a lot of fun. And I think for the right market, uh, this actually could be a really big, big hit. Um, Mm -hmm. No, just like everything, it's not for everybody. However, I felt that it still was was quite fun, and in many ways, uh, I could see this being a huge hit at uh, ticket redemption centers because you can have very similar type uh, games where the goal is to you know capture as many you know monkeys as you have on the field or something like that. I'm excited for whatever they have planned next. I know that. We started talking to him about what the possibility might be, and they just wanted to hear the rumors that we had heard. They weren't going to give us any information, so we we just talked, and it was it was cool to talk to Jerry. Um, I I could see owning a P three. I thought it was really fun. I actually thought it shot really well. Uh, my only, I guess, my only complaint. I don't know. We kind of discussed this with some other people as well, and they had brought it up. But um, when the game is turned off. It's not a very pretty game off. Well, it, it looks uh, like a powered down computer because yeah. it is a powered down computer. I mean, if your if your art is are is wholly tied to uh, the electronic activation of the screen, then it it, it can be a little challenging. However, I mean, really, 
to be blunt though, if you're in Vegas and every single slot machine is a similar thing and they've gone through the same evolution where it's yeah. basically a, an iPad style game that has been merged with a slot machine. That's how all the slots are now. And if you look at the P3, it's a very similar fusion of pinball and, uh, and, and an iPad. Overall, I really enjoyed it. I actually yeah. think I enjoyed the P3 more than any some of the other games I played there. It, it was very creative. It, it was it was really fun to see uh, pinball taking a, a different av- avenue. Um, yeah. uh, it's not the same thing as your standard game, but everything doesn't have to be your standard game. Um, right there by American Pinball and P3 and flipping out was the homebrews. I know we didn't hit those till day three, but I want to I want to insert them here. Um, I didn't get to play Sonic, but you did, right, Scott? There was I did. I played so many, Sonic. Yeah, there was always I, so many people there. And so that's always a good sign that's doing good, right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I talked with Ryan McQuaid, who actually designed Sonic, and they had a homebrew seminar. So uh, I would say the, the homebrews that seemed to bubble up with the most integration were uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, there was a Metroid-themed game. Uh, there was also a Castlevania themed game. Uh, there was one that was called, uh, um, boys night out. And, uh, that was someone who was interesting because he was actually in movies and he yes. made the movie and he ended up making the pinball machine too. That was in a very basic phase, but it was, it was still interesting to play. And there, there were a few others too. Um, <laughs> they had a TNA machine there, which I thought was kind of fun. Um, but the, the music was off for some odd reason. It, that yeah, was it weird. was. Yeah. Uh, you're missing Greek gods, which oh, yep. I thought was very impressive. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And that, and that was the one that had the lower play field, right? Yep. That yep. had, and you couldn't see it until you'd completed something. And then yeah. the, the screen that was in the bottom of the play field that you did almost like uh, the size of black hole mm-hmm. or, um, haunted house. Yeah, you but like, it was actually a bigger play field underneath. Yeah. It, it was had a, a magnifying glass down there. So that was that was a lot of fun. Um But Ryan's uh, game was pretty awesome from what you were telling me. It, it, it was great because now the good news is he talked about this in the seminar that he specifically f- uh, found that Sonic is very, very free with using their uh, intellectual property, their assets it, for hobbyists. And yes. so he was able to use um, like primary sources for the animations nice. for Sonic. And he was yeah. able to use like the, their animations and their art. And it was, you know, because this is not a money-making venture. It, however, if they did move to a commercial venture, then I'm sure that's when licensing would come in. But he said he wasn't too worried about um about sega really doing anything just because it was uh they were very friendly with hobbyists uh nintendo and disney tend to be a little less um uh i I guess welcoming in that sense i still feel that there would be less likelihood that you would get in trouble for something that you made on your own because it's a you know it's it's a home project they they do home art that people uh, do on their own but uh he he felt freer, I guess. Um, but hey, we had a Metroid and a Castlevania one there. So, and I, I doubt that Nintendo really cares those were made. Yeah. So, uh, but I, so- Sonic felt very good. It, it still feels like it's a homebrew. 
and that uh, it does it would need to go through some iterations before it became a production machine. Uh, the ramps felt fun, and one of the cool ramps that is they actually had a loop to loop ramp like in Sonic the Hedgehog, and it was uh, it was hooked up to a, a kicker, and so it it, it loaded it and then it uh, went through the loop and came around. Yeah, uh, ramps seem seemed wide and easy to hit, but that that was also a positive because you got used to the game. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it was a lot of fun. And um, same thing with Metroid. Metroid was really good. I thought the theme yes. integration was really good. Um, and he uh, he's the one who was just hired at Jersey Jack, though, as a primary designer. Yes. Mark Seiden. Yes. Yep, Mark Seiden. Um, and I didn't get to talk to uh, the other designers except for the the Boys Night Out. Um well, let's, let's hold, I want to pause you there because I played Metroid and I okay. really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I played a little bit, but you played a lot of it. So my only complaint is, is I wish I could take this game home. There is a lot of depth to this game and I want to explore it. Uh, the back the back glass animations are amazing. Uh, it, it, it's very cool that he's taken the concept of Metroid. If you've never played Metroid, I don't know how to explain it to you, but because it's its own genre of video game. Well, uh, okay, yeah, and you can you can definitely say it's it's basically a um, it's a space uh, it, it's a space game where you're fighting aliens, yeah. and your hero is a, a it, your protagonist is a female, but you're and, exploring the map like you would in Metroid from room to room right. and stuff like that. Yeah, um, my I guess one of my only complaints is besides the the I can't take it home. The the flippers did feel a little weak. I felt like I couldn't hit hit certain areas of the game. Once again, we were expo. Who knows? Yeah. It's it's hard to make a hundred percent. Like this is what's going on at a show. Did you question whether or not it was your deficient talent level? Maybe uh, that's a good possibility. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, it, it's a really cool game, and I'm glad that JJP P picked him up. Let's talk Boys Night Out because this game, I still don't know how to feel about this game. Uh, okay, it, it was very um, it was very basic. Yes. Um, the, Except for the animations were really good. Well, because okay. It was it wasn't the video animation. From the movie. It was actually yeah, clips, it was clips from the movie. Yes. And so um, the, the the challenging things, I th- uh, the theme, I think, veers into maybe stereotypical uh, boys' behavior. And so it felt a little bit like if you've ever seen the Vince Vaughn movie Swingers, um, feels very much along that vibe. Uh, and so that uh, that may or may not ring well or poorly with people. But the problem is, though, is when I'm playing this, it's it's hard to tell what you're doing because the bear the playfield is just bare. There is no indications on, it, which is fine. It's a homebrew. Um, so you have these two gentlemen riding around a car. It feels very night night at the Roxbury's without the music. It's like it's like they like are exhausted from our oh, listening yeah. music, and so they're sitting there just kind of chilling in the car. And so you don't really know what to do because there's really no call-outs or anything. So you're hitting a bunch of shots. And I had started a mode called Urination Station. And I figured I'd see something. But it, I guess I wasn't hitting the right stuff. And so it still was just the two dudes. So you weren't hitting anything at the Urination Station? I guess. Because like, it obviously it paused and they said their thing that they say in the movie. And then mm-hmm. and it showed them back in the car, right? Yeah. And I was like, okay. It was a decent game. Um, it was a good start. Uh, yes. I'd like to see more. Um, theme doesn't necessarily resonate with me, but not everything does. Yeah. I guess we could go watch the movie and see if it does resonate with us. 
Could be. So. Uh, after that, Castlevania. Holy crap, that game was brutal. It was it hard, yeah. Well, Castlevania is brutal, so it made sense. Exactly. Like the, the original uh, Nintendo Entertainment one, you, you would get to a certain level and you would just leave the game on because you did not want to lose that space. It was fun. I didn't play a ton of, get a ton of time on it just because it was so brutal. Very unique, different back glass because it was etched wood, wasn't it? They yeah, etched... it was la- it was laser engraved wood. So it, it had a very cool feel um, just because it, it felt very, uh, you know, very shoppy, you know, like a kid built this in shop class. And I, I don't mean that to sound insulting. I actually mean that to sound like, hey, this is a really cool home project. And then I think the last one that we hit all of them was Greek Gods, which was the most impressive oh. one that wasn't a theme. Well, yeah. it's a theme, but like I didn't recognize what they were going for, kind of. Right. And I think they did. They did a great job on that. And that was really impressive that they were able to layer the modes. So you actually go to the underworld. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that was uh, that was more uh, that was more than I anticipated a homebrew would do. Yes. Uh, and so. That was, I think they took a lead from, uh, I guess, a hint from the Kroll machine because I think that playfield underneath the main playfield is actually a lot bigger than you think uh, because you're, you're using it with the telescopic lens. There was a there was a knee button that he like installed on the coin door, and if you held it in, you could control the pop bumpers up top, if I remember correctly, and then, it, but it killed your flippers down below, so you had to decide when to use the knee button. Um, the callouts were amazing. Mm-hmm. The animations were great. They all looked like they were hand done animations. Um, I, I guess my only one complaint about that game is, so in the game, there's this big wire form that goes from the left side of the playfield to the right side of the playfield. It goes all the way around back of the playfield and makes a big horseshoe, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like a captive ball, and the power balls in there. But it's it's crucial to hit this thing because it it changes the diverter. You, you swapped, yes. Where you hit the power ball, it actually is where the diverter goes. So, but I could never get the power ball. I, I hit it as hard as I could, and I could never get that thing to go around. Oh, really? I I was able to. Okay, so yeah, I, I was able to get that to go around. Once he told us that that's how you change the diverter. There was a center ramp mm-hmm. that went two ways, right and left, and and that's how you change the diverter was by moving the power ball. But it was such a big horseshoe, I could never get around. I'm glad you did. Yeah. But but honestly, if that's your one hiccup, that that's easy, easy it, changed. It, it was a really solid homebrew. Yes. And it's it's one people should keep an eye on because it's it's impressive. Mm-hmm. It's up there with uh, a Sonic and Metroid, in my opinion. Going on with the homebrew, uh, we should talk about the American Pinball uh, announcement where they gave a challenge. Uh, yeah, so American Pinball, uh, the Ron Hallett Challenge, where they said to bring a homebrew machine and they will present it. And you present it and they will vote on it and they have a, a possibility of hiring you to design a pinball machine or to produce your pinball machine. So I thought that was very cool. And considering if you want to be a pinball designer, that is the best way to do it because... It, well, it, it's the most predictable way because for, for a company, I mean, that's exactly how Keith Elwin was when uh, George called and said, hey, are you going to be at Expo? He had heard about Archer or uh, or someone had uh, talked to him about it and he was interested in looking at it. And so that that's how Keith got in. Scott Denisi designed TNA as a homebrew. 
Uh, and so coming through the homebrew avenue is not a bad way if you're really considering. And, uh, you know, Jack Danger, too. Uh, that's um, he was working on his homebrew. Yeah, he said that's the best resume you could have for yeah. if you want to join up a pinball company. Well, if you want to be a designer. Yeah. Uh, that kind of wraps up the homebrews. Um, it was weird because, like like we said, the vendors didn't really open till 6. We kind of went through, played some Godzilla, really enjoyed that game. Uh, I cannot wait for mine to show up. I know that mine's after the beginning of the year. Any, any thoughts of Godzilla really quick? Godzilla had the best showing. Um, it was the... Uh, it felt like, um, you know, it, it, it felt like it's a predictable, great design from the Elwyn team yep. in that everything felt smooth. Everything felt well thought out. Um, it looks it looks beautiful. The art is fantastic uh, with Jeremy Packer, IKA Zombie Yeti. And the the flow it just seems so much fun. Uh, it feels it feels different actually than some of the other games, in that it felt like it was faster. Like it yep. d- didn't it feel like you were hitting more balls on the fly. I did. Um, it was very awesome to hit. I didn't realize because whenever you look at the Godzilla uh, streams, all of them are top down, so you don't actually get to see into the mouth of the building. Mm-hmm. And there's actually two bump blue bumper pads in there, so the hole to actually shoot into the building is small, and that's why they've been calling it a bash toy. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't fully understand why they're calling this a bash toy. It's a tight shot, but it it's not hard to hit. Like right. it's a, it's like a 50-50. But even if you hit those blue bumpers, it still gives you damage towards that building. Everything felt great. Three spinners, holy crap. Yeah. Playing Ebera and having to knock down those spinners and then get a multi-ball. I, I loved it. It was I cannot say enough good about this game. I'm excited for it in my collection. And I played a ton of Stern games this weekend, mm-hmm. and it showed the best out of all of them. It, it did. It, it, it really had. Uh, that was basically the coming out party for Godzilla. Yep. And uh, and it's not it's not really taking away anything from um, uh, the other big uh, the other big manufacturer that had a lot of games there was JJP, and they had Guns N' Roses. And it's not really taking anything away from Guns N' Roses, but Guns N' Roses has been out for about a year. So you, I think people have at least had some experience with it, um, with the, with Godzilla. This was really the first time most people had played it and it, uh, the code was really good. It felt very solid. Um, the yeah. seminar when Keith was talking about the designing of it and they had, uh, you know, uh, Rick Nagel and Harrison Drake there and the uh, zombie Yeti, all of them seemed like they work really well together. And you could tell that they, they felt like they, they were dialed into a process, I guess. Yeah. And if you could feel that they ha- they are a good working team. So this is the product of that good working team. So, um, yeah, I, I thought Godzilla was, uh, it, it was really the star of the show. Yep. And they had a ton of them there too. Uh, you, if you wanted to play Godzilla, you could play it. Yep. And they also had other things which were nice. They had uh, some of the other games, uh, they had an Aerosmith there. Uh, they also had a Deadpool there. Um, the virus had, House of Horrors. The virus the House of Horrors. They had uh, an Iron Maiden there. So they had all these ones that were there. Yeah, the, oh, we'll talk about the, the 40th. They had all these uh, these things, and they were all set up to, um, to Stern Insider, the connectivity. Yeah. So Insider Connected, and that was really smart. So people could try that out. Yep. 
I agree. So and that I enjoyed it. I think it's a very good showing for the connectivity as well. I think so too. Um, okay. So Elvira. Oh, go ahead. Oh, oh, well, yeah, go ahead and tell Elvira, but I want to get to Jack Danger's game because we did play Jack, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, Jurassic yeah, yeah. Park as well. Yep. Uh, so let's start with Elvira. Uh, I, I think this is a great move for Stern. Uh, the, it does feel like, hey, this is a premium product. And if you want a premium product, you're going to be charged a premium price. So yeah. if you happen to be an, an Elvira fan and you have a lot of money and you want to buy this game, uh, it looked good. It, it looked like a good showing. The It is certainly going after a certain demographic. It is a high-end collector demographic who wants a combination of exclusivity and a a blinged out Elvira machine. And I think it connected on both levels. I don't have a problem with them doing this because you can still buy a standard Elvira for the, for the price and it will have all the functionality of the, of the 40th anniversary edition. Um, I went back and forth a little bit with uh, one of our friends here in Utah where he was, he was, he, he was uh, concerned that uh, if people order these House of Horrors machines and they put them off to do uh, a limited edition machine, uh, I countered by saying, I don't think they're going to retool the entire line and run 199. Yeah. So this would be, hey, we are running an Elvira House of Horrors and included in that run is going to be these 199, which yeah. are going to be a, a premium cost for uh, that the distributors, they are paying a higher cost for this. This is not a standard pro price that they are buying from them. So the distributors are are paying more for this game, but they're also charging more too because it's yeah. to the discretion of the, uh, of the uh, dealer. Um, most of them went for about uh, 29,000. That's, uh, that's the going rate. Some were going uh, for as low as 25. Uh, that's not my style, but uh, hey, not everything is my style. So yeah. I, 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 I'm glad they did it because I think it's a good way of, of providing a premium product for the right audience. Um, and uh, hey, it's a good way of just raising some capital really quickly. Yep. I have no really opinions on it because I just, it doesn't appeal to me at all. Yeah, uh, on almost every front. So I just looked at it and went, awesome. Eh, not, not for me. But for the Elvira fans, it is perfect for them. Yeah. Okay, Jack so Danger's game. Jack Danger's was, game. Talk about it. Yeah, Jack Danger's game is very impressive for uh, a stripped down Stern game that is aiming for... I would say a budget Stern game. A, okay, a budget Stern so, game. So stripped down, strip down makes it feel like it's they took a lot of stuff out. I it, it has a lower build of material, yeah. Um, but it did feel like a complete game. Yeah, it it honestly shot better than some of the other games at Expo. It it's very impressive. It reminded me of maybe a mid '90s Williams game. I'd say some an early. Rants. I'd say an early '90s Middles game. Okay, uh, like uh, it it didn't feel like it was full up to like an an Adams Family. Uh, however, it, uh, it was fun. Yeah. Like it had a jump ramp. It, it, it shot really well. Yep. Um, it would go really well in someone's home collection. Uh, the one quote that I heard, and I'm going to repeat it. I'm going to steal it from Jeff Teolis is 
He said the major complaint that he could hear from people is that it doesn't have a coin, a coin door. And so you can't put it on location in its current state. And I agree with him. I think that this would be a good location game because it is that fun. It, oh, yeah. it was, um, it was a solid effort, um, by a rookie designer in Jack danger and it showed really well. Yep. I agree. My only complaint is the, how small the screen is, but I've come, become accustomed to what they have now on, on a regular right quote regular size pinball machine which everything's regular size except for the head on these things it's the same size play field and all that jazz so really good game though i enjoyed it jack did a good job he said that he got a lot of input and he tried to soak up as much as he could as a sponge like a sponge mm-hmm. um we played some gnr honestly it, it's a fun game i felt like it had the weakest flippers even behind valhalla um but it, it, it's a great light show and the music's rocking on there. It is a it is a beautiful machine. I I I stick with my initial assessment on GNR in that it is an experiential machine. Yep. So it focuses on being able to say, "Hey, I feel like I'm at the concert. I feel like I'm really in there." And it's it's fun. It, it is. I'm sure you can change the settings. It's very multi-ball and ball saver heavy in the current setup. Um, now that uh, you can always modify those things, yep. so it was. Uh, but it was it was a lot of fun, and uh, it's it probably is the prettiest machine that I've ever seen. I agree. Like it, it is over the top pretty. Um, and we talked with Eric. Um, Eric was great. And in, in man, that going- must be. A, I gotta say, that's got to be a rough life. We're sitting there talking to Eric, and some guy just walks up and he's like, "Eric, I told you I'd buy you a beer," so he hands him a beer. It's like, yeah. Okay, good like, job. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's like, thanks. No. And, and Eric, and it was interesting talking to him because he was talking about um, having like the LE number. And, and I, I do want to talk about this. The the LE number where he's like, this was, this was kind of a gut feeling of like, okay, so how many can we possibly make? He's like, I was, I was uh, shooting high in $5,000 or excuse me, 5,000 games. But he said, actually, it feels like we're going to hit that. Like, we're probably going to sell out here um, because it was that. And I was like, and that that is uh, that's his wildest dreams of being able to do such a great showing on the game. And I understand why people would do it, because it it is a fun game that you would have in a home collection uh, on location, probably plays it a little, little long. And I think people would have to adjust the settings uh, because it w- it is a long playing game. Yeah. It, it, it is beautiful, though. I mean, when you have one of the band members uh, provide all those assets, then it is a designer's dream, I'm sure. And that kind of did it for the vendor area for us. Uh, I was like, well, there's so much time between now and when the actual vendor hall opens and kind of some of the other stuff that's going on. I decided to enter the tournament. I didn't fully understand how it worked because I haven't played one of that caliber. Um, it was pretty much... You got 12 games you could play. You could play as many as you want, as many times as you want. Sorry, within that 12 times. Uh, they took your top six scores across six machines. And I didn't realize that, like, they added up your score, and then it was like the top 100 people on that machine got points. And, you know, the number one being getting 100, the number 100 getting one point. I, I wish I had played a little bit harder. I got frustrated because there were just so many people and the, the wait times were long, so I went up to the front and said, hey, 
is it better to try now when there's like eight to nine people waiting for a machine or do I come back later? They said that, you know, it could get worse as it gets later on in the day. And so I just kind of stuck it out, but I didn't even play my 12, my 12 stuff, my 12 entries. I just played eight. And I kind of regret doing that because I, sh- I wanted to be higher up in B. And uh, because wherever you, wherever you land, it dictates where you have to play up from the bottom. Right. It, and, it's, it's a ladder system. So you get buys if you, uh, if you're higher up. So it, it makes sense. Uh, did you at least have right. fun? I had fun. Um, about halfway through on Friday, I was just like, I'm kind of burned out. I, I wasn't super fighting hard cause I, there's so much going on at expo and I felt like I was kind of not confined to the, well, I was confined to the tournament area at one point because one of the games had ran long, the game in between that hadn't even started yet. So I was there at two or three, whatever time I was supposed to be there. And the other two games hadn't even taken place before me, but I couldn't go anywhere because what happens if they finish their games and I'm not there and I want to be disqualified for not being there. I waited around like an hour and a half for all the stuff to happen. And anywho, I just, I think I was burned out by the end of it. So I was kind of glad when I was done. Um, but other than that, we, what we hit lunch with TLS on Thursday. Was it Thursday night? We went to dinner with, with TLS. Mm, I think Joel that was Ingram, Friday. That was, was Friday. Friday. Okay. Yeah. So we did lunch with, with TLS on, on Thursday. Um, caught up with him wonderful man like i cannot say enough good about that dude i know he'll never take it he'll never claim to it but he's a really good dude and jeff is uh i I was actually chatting back and forth with him is that jeff's one of those guys who's he he is exactly who you think he's going to be yeah and that he is uh he's as nice in person and as personable and approachable as you would imagine and he was super nice and and by the way that goes for really everybody that we met for the, for the first time in person. Um, and we met a lot, uh, and yes. we, you know, we met the poor man's tribe and we hung out with yeah. them a lot. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, we saw Ron Hallett and Ron Hallett is, you know, a super a great guy, super knowledgeable. And that was fun to talk about. He even pointed out the Beavis and Butthead arcade game that was never released. And so it was like a Simpsons uh, basher type game. So I, I went and played it for a little bit. Um, we, uh, so we saw Jeff Tillis, you know, we met um, um, Chris Kaluris of Canada. Yeah. We saw him sitting by himself drinking a drink. Well, he, and- he, he was relaxed. He, he was, he was between events and he was yes. just sitting there and we went over and talked with him and legitimately he was, uh, he was very personable, very nice and uh, very approachable. Um, so it was, uh, it was actually good to catch up with him. I was gonna say, we really didn't even talk pinball with him. We sat down, we talked about our families, we exchanged stories. He showed us his baby. I showed him my babies. I mean, it was, I think that was the one thing I did enjoy about Expo is there's so much drama and and stuff on pin side and Facebook and stuff like that. I was kind of nervous going to an Expo because I was afraid maybe some of it would bubbled over, you know, because there are keyboards. Well, on pin side, there's, there's, uh, there's a few people who really tried to ratchet it up. Yeah. Correct. And so I was nervous of something happening. Honestly, everyone was very calm. Everyone, it was like family had come together mm-hmm. and hadn't seen each other for a long time. And so it was, it was nice. It really was. I, um, I, I don't know. All, all in all, it was, it was very cool to meet all these people. So, yeah, it was super nice. I saw Joe Fox. He's uh, super, super easy to talk to, too. Uh, you know, an enthusiast from Delaware. So that was, 
that's a lot of fun. Uh, what Joe's doing, he just started the the collective out out there um, on the on the second floor, which I think that was an interesting choice. But you know, you take what you can get. What made me chuckle too is like if you if you did the vendor stuff, you ran into certain people. Yeah, but if you did the tournament stuff, you ran into an entirely different set of people. So when I did the tournament, I ran to Raymond Davidson, I ran to Tim Sexton, I ran to Kate Martin, uh, Jen Ruper. She was wonderful. She was really nice to talk to. The, there's a group that we're in. We met Zach, which is famous from the Slam Tilt pod- podcast when he guest stars. Stephanie, it was nice to meet her. I mean, there was just a ton of people that I don't think I ever saw outside of the tournament. Oh, well, I, me, I, I think Steve they Bowden. were spending a lot of time in the tournament and in running yeah. that tournament. And and Raymond, you know, he he was playing deep in that, and he he played deep into classics the on Saturday or on Sunday. Tom Graff, he was doing all the streaming. He even invited us on stream at one point. We chit-chatted with Joel Engelberth. That was Friday. Uh, got dinner with them. I mean, it just it was really cool to talk to all these people and, and just get to know uh, a lot of them. I really want to say thank you to Joel, though, because we didn't take a vehicle because obviously we were from Utah, so we flew in. But Joel drove up to Expo, and so he was nice enough to let us tag along on, uh, on a lot of the mishaps that we had done. Yeah. Also, shout out to Dan Costa, uh, Sacramento area. So uh, talked with him a lot. He's he's relatively new to pinball. Uh, yep. So that, nice that was a very nice fun, ca- fun catching up with that guy. And uh, yeah, there, there was just a lot of really good options that we had. Yep. So let's let's talk Friday. Uh, I, I noticed you typed something here. What what happened Friday with CGC? So uh, CGC, they had a a an announcement. It was what's happening with Chicago gaming, Ryan white. And it felt like they were announcing cactus Canyon, but it didn't feel like they had time to prepare a lot. Yeah. So, uh, Ryan, he was there. He was a little late. Um, super nice guy. We talked to him while he was setting things up. And, uh, basically it was a, Here's Cactus Canyon. Uh, we think we've dialed. We're working on the the fa- um, the numbers, and and it felt like it was kind of last minute rushing to get everything all set up for this. And I'm sure it is uh, rushing to get it. Um, apparently, it's ninety ninety two fifty uh, for the LE, eight thousand for the uh, special edition. Um, the there is a Lyman Sheets and Josh Sharp code that is being developed. It will not be a sequentially updated code, but it will be a, a single, um, single after well available option for your Cactus Canyon. That um, once it's done, it's done. It's not going to take uh, multiple iterations. And this is the first time that we're getting to the hey, if you want extra code or an updated code set, then you're going to be paying for it. Um, wouldn't yeah. be surprised if this is uh, if this is something we're going to see in the future. However, it may be it may not be it may be a one off just because Cactus Canyon is famously uh, was production was cut very short and so it still wasn't a fully finished game. Um, you played Cactus Canyon though, so what what did you think of Cactus Canyon? Um, I thought it, they've definitely brought it a long way from where it was originally from the the nineties game. I've played both the original and now the new one, and the new one's just bright and shiny. They've they've really polished it up. They've made it look good. They've made it sound good. They've redone some of the art. 
Um, they've modernized it. Even the the animations on the screen were fantastic. It felt almost three D, and like the gold mine multi ball. Um, it, it felt really good. Um, I'm intrigued to see what Lyman and Josh are going to do. I think they're going to probably they're probably going to do a tournament style. Uh, that's a little harder because the code set that was there, like we waited for <laughs> to get on the pinball machine. The gentleman in front of us like destroyed it. Like I think he got to high noon or something like that. And then yeah. just walked away. Mm-hmm. So the code wasn't main was the way the games were set up. Um, but overall it looks great. I think anyone that's buying this game is going to enjoy it very thoroughly. If you've enjoyed the other cactus Canyon remakes, you're, you're going to like this one. Uh, I would consider buying it. It, it, it really is a good game and I've owned attack from Mars and I've owned monster bash. Love those games. Um, I think I'm just getting to the point where I need something I can explore a little deeper. And I think Keith Elwin's games do the best for that for me. Well, um, now, okay, once you get the Lyman code, it will be different. The, correct. The, the, Lyman, be a... the Lyman Sharp code. Yes. Um, the one the one possible criticism I could have for Chicago gaming is I wish the I, I wish they had time to do a better presentation. I wish I knew a little more about, hey, this is what we were thinking, this is what we were trying to do, this is why we're doing it. Yeah. Um the so that that was disappointed. Um another aspect is I think they're doing a big miscalculation in that they have the best game the best complete package game they have includes the topper, includes the art blades, includes everything, but they are limiting themselves by only placing, only making 1250 of them. Yeah. Um, they need to really consider having a, their, their toppers are the best. The mm-hmm. only topper that I could say is better is the black Knight topper. Yeah. Um, but their toppers are, they're 3D sculpts. They're well lighted. They are interacting with the game. And when you only allow 1,250 people to have that option, you are limiting your market. So uh, they need to adopt something like a their LE, the 1250 or whatever. That needs to be their, their exclusive, coll- whatever you want to call it, the super limited edition, the... Yeah the collector's edition, the, uh, the super sunrise edition, whatever you want to call it. Um, they, they can still do that and charge a premium price for that, but they need to have the ability for the average collector who is willing to spend money on a game and to be able to update it, to get all that effort they have put into that topper. Uh, they put a great, it's a shooting gallery up there. There's a guy with rotating hands that, Reminds me of Hogan's Alley. It's an old uh, Nintendo game from like 1985, and it, it felt fun. However, if you're if you're willing to spend eight nine thousand dollars on a toy, you want to be able to upgrade it to a the best option. Like you don't want to feel like oh well, I was going to buy the best version, but it sold out, and they only had twelve fifty of them. Like, why would you go to all that effort to develop these really cool toppers if um, if there's more demand than what you're able to sell? I I understand if you're trying to sell, uh, you know, a thousand, and your takes a while to sell all those out. But these LEs were gone instantaneously. Yep. 
And so that tells me they need to really adapt their market and allow the special edition people uh, to buy the uh, to buy the topper to buy to upgrade to whatever version they want to upgrade to. Um, my medieval madness. It's not the royal edition. It is the the standard edition, but I paid for the the updates, and so I have a topper. I have uh, the light the light show. I have the bigger um, uh, the bigger panel, uh, whatever that is, the screen, the DMD. Yeah, the DMD, and so it's really nice. Um, but it's I it's not a limited edition. My medieval madness isn't isn't a limited edition, but it still feels like a complete game. Um, that's the one thing about this is if I spent $8,000 for this, I would want to be able to complete the game. And right now I don't think they're allowing that, but I did suggest to them. So I'm hoping they take that to heart. They should be able to sell these toppers without being linked to only LEs. Friday. So besides CGC, um, we did go to lunch with, uh, eclectic gamers. It was awesome to meet Dennis and Tony in person for the first time. Um, and then the next day, let's see, Saturday, kind of pinball Olympics took over. Yeah. Uh, luckily, Joel was going. So just another pinball podcast and triple drain, Joel Ingle- Ingleberth. And he brought along, or I guess he brought along us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Nick Brown, we got to meet him, Pinsomniac. Uh, really nice dude. I really sat, I really enjoyed sitting down talking with him. He was a really cool dude. Um, and we really got to know each other because it was like an hour drive to the location to Banger Jay's house. And this thing is like, if a dude, if a kid grew up and got a bunch of money and loved pinball, decided just to go nuts. Cause it, there were some crazy creations in this. Okay. So, so, okay. Explain, explain what the pinball Olympics are, because a lot of people don't understand what it is. So pinball Olympics are, I asked Banger Jay where this idea came from, and he said that they really like dollar games, and then it got out of hand. That was literally the whole explanation. So pinball Olympics is a tournament-based style, let me, let me rephrase that, it is, a, it is a style of tournament for pinball, but what has happened is, is pinball, or Banger Jay has taken his collection and alter some of the games so let's take uh quicksilver for example he has a stern quicksilver the playfield he's put it in like a little wider cabinet so the, the playfield actually shifts it turns while you're playing and you got to get a high score on the game to to medal in that event so each each game that has been altered is its own event uh there was what was it called barracora mm-hmm. The Barracora Luge was awesome. You had to lay on the floor while playing Barracora, looking through a mirror on the playfield, and the flippers were at the base of the feet. Um, there was a beer goggle time fantasy, uh, scissor flippers. I can't remember what game that was on. And when I say scissor flippers, it's like someone did cut the handles off of scissors and then use the blades as flippers. It's it's really goofy. Well, it was also uh, fun because you could actually use that and save the outlane so that it's a it's a seesaw. It's a teeter totter. So if you were really good at it, you could actually save a lot of games. It, I didn't get the full grasp of it until we'd moved from his house into the garage he'd built specifically for this. That's when you ran into 
the mechanical bull Bronco where you had to play it while it was spinning at a granted it was slower, but it was very, you're like riding a mechanical bull while playing this game, hanging from the ceiling Avengers where you're, you're hoisted up in like a harness. I, there was just so many crazy contraptions. I will have to say, I feel like Joel, Nick, Scott, and I now share a special bond because we have played Xenon at Bigger J's house. I'm not going to explain it because we're not doing that. Uh, but yeah, it was crazy. It was... Uh, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. If if you want to find out, I bet you can Google it. But I feel like you, you share a special bond with someone when you're in the same group playing that game together. <laughs> it was certainly a creative uh, way of setting up a game. Um, they also had a TNA that was on a turntable. So it was, so you were spinning, uh, right round baby, right round, like a record baby, right round, round, round. Um, that's, that's what was impressive too. He even made, got music that was all themed to that stuff too. So, so the game was on there. So you were rotating the whole time with the pinball machine. And so the ball's going all these crazy directions because it's, uh, it's flying, it's rolling on a, on a rotating, um, uh, a rotating play field. So it's just, it's, um, Jay did a great job. It was a lot of fun. Um, a- anybody who goes to, uh, to expo, I highly recommend yes. investing the time going up and doing the pinball Olympics, which was yes. a lot of fun. The, the only downside is it took a lot of time out from Saturday, which I think was a, a big day, but, uh, I, I don't regret it. It was a lot of fun. It was great. I agree. By the end of it, though, I was wiped. I was exhausted. Yeah, I was tired. That that four hours or whatever it was, it was ridiculous. Glenn Wechter, who shared a room with us, uh, did the treadmill challenge, which was essentially playing No Fear while running as fast as you could on the treadmill. They they bumped it up to 11, as if I'm going to steal a Spinal Tap reference. Yeah, I'm surprised someone didn't fall on that one. I'm surprised no one puked. Glenn came out and (laughs) it looked like he was going to puke. Yeah, um, they had a tilt bob hanging from a hard hat right in front of your face. I won that challenge. That was on junkyard. I took gold on that one. Nick Brown won a couple golds. Uh, won in Kiss Hellstorm, and then I can't remember what the other one was. But even Joel had taken home a couple of uh, medals as well. Yeah, it I was. I did not. I uh, I sh- I should have retried a few games. I I would just play the game once. And I'm like, oh, that was interesting, and kind of move on. But next time, I will take it more seriously and bring home a medal. It was cheaper. Like, don't, I'm not trying to take anything away from the tournament at Expo. It was cheaper to do the Pinball Olympics that was the main tournament at Expo. Well, okay, and I but felt like I got more out it, of Pinball Olympics. Pinball Olympics was like an amusement park. And that, yes. that's really what it comes down to. It was a fun, like, it was an obstacle course slash pinball. And so it was, uh, it was well done. It was, everybody had a lot of fun. Yep. And, and- your ticket included food. They had these amazing tacos there. The tacos were great, yeah. And that's, that's honestly, as we were sitting there eating, you, that's all I could hear was people saying, this is the best taco I've ever had. Yeah. Um, they had free booze that came with your ticket. We weren't we weren't a part of that. But hey, if that's your jam, I, I well, really... If, it, it was available if, if you wanted it. So. Correct. So if you're going to go to Expo, this is your first time, I'd highly recommend doing that. Uh, we wrapped up Pinball Olympics, hopped back in the car with Joel and Nick. They gave us the ride back to Expo. Uh, that was pretty much when uh, Keith, Elwin, and company got on stage to do their seminar on Godzilla. Uh, amazing. 
there yeah. was a lot of cool behind the scenes, a lot of cool questions. Uh, and then they encouraged you to a- answer or ask a question. If you did, you got essentially a prize. Yeah. And, and what did you get? <laughs> um, I'm going to say like a one of a kind, four and a half foot tall, three foot wide. All the CAD drawings of all of Keith and company's games at this up to this point. And it was all signed by the teams. Yeah. And so it was insanely cool. And it, like I opened it up after I got home and just stared at this thing for like half an hour. My wife even stared at it with me. She's like, that's really cool. Because it even shows like the placement of the circuit boards underneath the play field all the way to the very top a, of the wide Yeah, form. it's like a schematic drawing. It's really cool. Um, yes. I uh, now one thing I did win uh, from American Pinball is I actually won Legends of Valhalla Backglass, which yes. was glass. Uh, so he handed it to me, and I, I was surprised because I thought it was going to be a translite. So uh, thanks to David Fix, he's sending that out to me. Uh, but that that will be a great art piece. Um, one other thing I did, uh, I I bought a shooter rod, and it was kind of fun. Uh, so I I was going through, and there was a a vendor who was super nice, uh, had these really custom shooter rods. So if you actually want to. Uh, check out his custom shooter rods. Uh, it is a super skill shot shooters uh, based out of, I believe it was uh, the, out of the South, but anyway, it was really cool. Um, I threw that in my bag and I didn't even think about it. I went to the airport and I went through TSA and they scanned my bag and they, they, they pulled it off to the side to screen it. And uh pulled it out. And of course the, what's the first thing you say when someone pulls something out of your bag is, Oh, that's a shooter rod in, in the airport. So, so I had to explain a little bit what a shooter rod was and why it was used. Uh, but thankfully they let me keep it. So now I have my Deadpool shooter rod that I can, uh, that I can put on, but that was, that was really fun. Um, uh, it was an, it was an amazing expo. We had a great time. I got deep dish pizza uh, and I can't wait for Geno's East or anybody, anybody from Chicago to open a franchise here in Utah. So, uh, I don't have to fly there to get it. Portillo's was really good too. I wish I had gotten the sandwich you'd gotten with the sausage and the beef inside the sandwich. That looked really yeah. good. Yeah. Josh was the only one who did not order a sausage. So the, the seminar that we went to that I was surprised there wasn't more people there, uh, was the... Feud without the family of Dwight Sullivan. Oh, so that hilarious. wasn't yeah. wasn't put on by Stern, but it was sponsored by Stern. And holy crap, they gave away so much stuff there; it was insane. Like, I I don't think people fully comprehended what was going on because how many people do you think was in that seminar? Thirty, maybe no, forty. I, I think it was more, maybe forty. But uh, we were able to play it a few times, so I ended up. They gave uh, away banners they gave away shirts mm-hmm. glasses those limited edition bandanas frisbees which apparently you if you convince dwight he'll give you a handful of them because they have a ton of them I, I mean they just had so much stuff and i'm surprised like next year if you go to expo feud without the family it's usually the very last seminar of the very last day hit it up because you will not regret it unless yeah. if you only have one carry on and you might regret trying to stuff all that, all that stuff in your bag at that point. I came home with what glasses, a frisbee, a stern bag, uh, 
the bandana. I mean, it just, it was insane. All the stuff they gave away for it. Yeah. I, I ended up with a, uh, with two of the Godzilla sculpts, the, um, the full size, the, the, the big Godzilla at the back and the mechanic Godzilla on the right side. So that, that's fun. That's actually in my, uh, um, that's sitting in my, uh, what's it called? The, we have some uranium glass. So we put Godzilla in the uranium glass, which makes sense because yep. he's radioactive. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, it's uh, it was great. Uh, so take home, what what is your take home from Expo? Uh, what did you find was most interesting? What do you what do you wish you would do differently next time? And uh, what was the one thing that you learned most? Okay, do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Go ahead. All right. I think my biggest takeaway is make a game plan before you go. Uh, with this being my first expo, I wanted to explore all, and I definitely did. But by the end of it, I was super wiped out. Uh, I don't regret doing all the stuff that I did, but I do feel like I missed out in some areas I would have enjoyed more if I hadn't overextended myself by going in the main tournament um, and maybe valued my time a little bit better at expo. Uh, overall, it was fantastic. Don't be afraid to talk to people. The thing that I loved about Expo, I don't know about this of, of any other uh, convention that they do that might happen at TPF, but there's it, since it's in Chicago, a lot of the people that work for these companies just show up. And so imagine Comic-Con, but you could just rub shoulders with any, with any of the actors that might be there or any of the directors. It was pretty much that. It was like, oh, hey, here's Jack Danger. Uh, and we, we sat and talked with Jack or, Hey, there's Keith Elwin walking through all the Godzilla. So we, we pulled him aside and talked to him with him and his brother, Randy, which was awesome to meet him. Mike Vinicor, just chill accent. You know, it was how many times did yeah, I Jerry, either Jerry Thompson too is super nice to us. So. Jerry Thompson, Steve Bowden, you know, Jack Guineri, Eric Minier, Ken Cromwell. I, the one that I was super awesome to meet was Jason Fowler. I don't know if you people remember Jason, but he was from Slap Save Pinball Podcast. That wasn't didn't stop too long ago, so I hope you do remember him. But it was awesome to get to meet him, and we sat and talked 20, 30 minutes in, in J.J. Babich's suite. And it was just really, really cool. Like I said, I had said it on the way, way home, and I, I had said it totally wrong, so I do apologize to like Joel and Nick uh, because it, it probably came off the wrong way. But like, I, I was seriously nervous because I felt like there might be some attention that bubbles o over from uh, Pinside or Facebook because there's some really weird stuff that gets posted and it's just like people want to fight. And so I was nervous to see what would happen, but honestly, none of that ever happened there. Um, and it was just really cool to meet everyone. And so I really wish that I would have uh, allotted my time a little bit better because by the time I went to bed on Saturday night, my flight was at... I had to be out of the hotel room at 2.50 in the morning so I could be to my flight and on the airplane before 5. And by 10 o'clock Saturday night, I felt like I hadn't done everything I wanted to do. Uh, but I was very happy with everything that did happen that I got to do. So what's your takeaway, Scott? My takeaway is approach uh, any of these shows as if you are coming back. And so you don't feel like you have to, you know, just think of going to a buffet. 
There's so many options out there and you don't have to eat everything because if you try to eat everything, you're going to be overstuffed. You're going to be miserable. And so just pick the things that some experiences that you want to take away. And then next time you come back, pick some other ones. Uh, I like that we were able to, I was able to go to a lot of seminars, which I thought was really nice. Uh, I didn't play in the tournament because I didn't feel that I had enough time to really um, play up so I would have a good showing. And so I was okay with sacrificing that a little bit. Um, the, I, I wish uh, the, the nice thing is some of the, um, some of the seminars that I did not go to, uh, I can stream later. So I, I want to actually see the making of the Mandalorian, uh, and, you know, with Brian and Dwight and, and talk with them, uh, or at least, uh, visualize that, um, uh, talk with making a blood Zeppelin, uh, Tim Sexton did that. Um, there's a few other things that I'm just like, you know, I just, I can't make it to everything, but I didn't want to pigeonhole myself into one thing. Um, one thing I would do a little differently, uh, in the, in the vendor hall. So I, I was a little wrong. Vendor hall opened on Thursday at 6 PM closed at 11 PM Friday, opened at 4 PM and closed at 11 PM and Saturday, it opened at 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. So that I, there's a there was a lot, but we chose to try the pinball Olympics on Saturday. So that took a lot of that away. Well, and I felt very fortunate, too, that we were able to get in on Thursday morning when oh, everything yeah. was kind of still setting up. So we it was almost like we had a personal tour of the vendor hall before it, everyone else was it there. Was not, I would make a little more of an effort to go and talk to some of the vendors. Yeah. Um, and because it was so much fun to go and play all the new games, uh, I wish that I had, uh, taken more time and talked to the people who came there with the mods came there with, uh, you know, their art that they were trying to sell. They have all these, uh, mechanics there. And so next time I go, I'm going to spend a little more time talking with them and, and thanking them for coming, uh, because that is a big investment in their time. Um, and you can pick up some really cool things. That shooter rod I got was actually really cool for Deadpool. So I'm excited to put that on. Um, I, I came in uh, Wednesday night. I may or may not do that again. I may come in Thursday the next time. Uh, Sunday, I thought I actually got a little later flight because I thought that uh, I didn't want to rush it, which a lot of people were rushing to get out. But then I, I was kind of alone. So, <laughs> so, um, you know, there, there were a few hours when I, when I was just kind of chilling out in the hotel room, waiting to head off to the airport. Uh, so I may have tried to get an earlier flight out. Um, but staying with people was great. Uh, staying with Glenn, staying with you. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And, uh, if you don't, if you feel like you're kind of wandering around alone, just go up and talk to someone because there's so many people to meet and it was, it was great. Uh, that we were able to to meet so many different people from everywhere. Just just two more that stood out to me. Uh, George Fisher. I felt like I've known the man for a while, but it was cool to actually go and talk to him as well. Uh, Don't Panic Flip. If you haven't checked out his Twitch channel, very awesome Twitch channel. Go give it a watch. Yeah. So the one that shocked me was Todd McCullough, uh, former NBA player. You can't miss him at Expo because he's taller than everyone else by at least a couple heads and he came over to us at pinball Olympics and we got talking and he said they just loved our show 
And that was that was pretty cool. That was kind of a cool honor. I didn't realize that, that someone of his stature would it, would listen to us. So. It, it surprises that stature tall. I got it. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it's uh, the nice thing about it is because you're able to connect to a lot of people, and whether or not they listen is uh, is is nice. But either way, you have that common bond. Like you could really talk to almost anyone on there, and it was a we played dollar games. It was a diverse group. Uh, there were a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life and we had a lot of fun playing stall ball. Yep. So uh, that's another thing I would bring like $21 bills. So when you when you play these dollar games, you actually have dollars that you can, uh, that you don't have to figure out, Oh, I need to get change. So that, that, that was different too. Yeah. And I, I think it reinforced what I've said for years now that I love about pinball it doesn't matter race, religion, you know, what shoe size you wear. It, if you love pinball, it brings all walks of life together. And it's nice to have something in our lives, especially with such a weird, diverse, controversial time we live in, to have something that brings us all together and drops all the the barriers that you might have in your normal life and just play some games, convince someone to steal some of their dollars from dollar yeah. games. Or or have a beer with Eric Minier. Yeah. You know, it just it it was amazing to see how much pinball has brought such a diverse group of people. And I I do say diverse. There was a lot of a lot of different, lot of people, different like, people, yeah. And uh, it was like we were all brothers and sisters because we all were there to play pinball. Yeah, uh, we um, so met, uh, met Darren Walker there. I uh, saw Scott Denisi, and he gave me some yes. cassette, cassette tape. So that was a lot of fun. Yep. Um. I'm, I'm trying to just think of all the different people that I, uh, it's, it's that hard. I Cause it's like, yeah. if, if we missed you, like seriously, each one of a, one of you that we saw and met, it stands out as part of a highlight of my trip. Yeah. We, we had, we had so much fun. So it was, it was great. It was really awesome. And, uh, I was not expecting as many people to come up, come up and say, I kept introducing myself as like, Hey, I'm Josh. I'm with the loser kid pinball podcast. And usually the response says, Josh, I know who you are. Like I can tell from your voice. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Like I wasn't expecting that. Like, yeah, I don't they, know. I, I just assumed they no didn't one... tell me that as much, but you, you're the oh. one that has the voice for radio. So right, right. But it was it was just really cool. And like I said, this is our first experience with this. Um, I'm hoping for TPF. We'll we'll see what happens. Um, we did talk to speaking of TPF. We did talk to Jeff Patterson, and he did tell us that he's still aiming to do Twippies. He doesn't feel like that's going to go away and. And uh, I know Scott just got all got all excited for that because he's, he's ready to take down the reigning champ. So uh. yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see about that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was it was just a lot of fun. So it was uh, great seeing everybody. Uh, if you have any thoughts on um, on what you did at uh, Expo or what you wish you had seen at Expo, I mean, uh, reach out to us. Let us know. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what people liked, what they didn't, and and. Uh, it seemed like a very positive show experience. I, it felt like a lot of people had a great time. Well, I think that pretty much does it for us, Scott. We, we've ran a little longer, longer than usual, but there was a lot to cover. So, um, but I think overall, I'm very pleased with how everything went. So, yeah, no, it, it was awesome. We had a good time. Well, if you want to get a hold of us, we are Loser Kid Pinball Podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to get a hold of us on the socials, we are at Loser Kid Pinball on Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter, and Instagram. 
so yeah, if you'd like to get a hold of us, that's the way to do it. I don't know if Scott has any merch left. I, I, I have very, very little. And we're having a heck of a time getting this stuff into stock. I'm keeping an eye out and, and trying to get more in stock. But for the time being right now, if you, if you didn't get a hat or a shirt at Expo, it's going to be a minute. So I, I actually do have a few more shirts, uh, pretty much out of baseball hats. Uh, but you uh, have a few. But uh, we're looking to get more. I have a few of the, the beanies. The, the striped beanies, which I think are a lot of fun to wear. Um, but you, you're, it's definitely a bold choice for a beanie if you, if you want that. So, Other than that, I guess we'll, we'll talk to each other here in a couple weeks. Yeah, and we, uh, we're planning on getting uh, Scott from Legends of Valhalla on, and we were able to line up a lot of guests coming on, so we're really looking forward to uh, the next six months as we're trying to run through them all. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we'll go from there. All right, talk to you later. See ya.